Joining us today is one of the charitable organizations that's supported by one of the fine sponsors of this radio station. We're happy to have Katie Crouch. She's the development director for the New Mexico chapter of the ALS Association. Katie, uh, tell us, I guess, first, what is ALS? So ALS is a neurodegenerative disease. And basically what it does is... Um, the neurons that communicate between your brain and your muscles, um, those slowly start to die off, which leads to then um, those two things not communicating with each other, which leads to um, lack of movement in your arms, your legs, um, with your speech, anything like that. So basically you just lose your ability to do everyday things that we're used to, like writing or walking, talking. Um, and it affects everybody differently. There isn't like a, a roadmap for every single patient. Some people, um, you know, it affects their legs mostly. Um, some people can walk and, you know, use all their, their limbs, um, but they can't talk. So it's different and it's it's a mystery um, why it is that way. And that's why funding for, for treatments and, um, you know, developments and drugs and all of that is so important. So we can kind of nail down why it affects people so differently. I think most people are familiar with it as uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Was he the first person diagnosed or the most famous or how did that, uh, how does it come to be known as that? So he, he wasn't the first person to be diagnosed, but he was definitely the first person with influence that was. Um, and he just kind of took his diagnosis and ran with it and tried to use his platform and his, um, you know, his athletic ability and everything to just bring awareness to the disease. Um, you know, his, his uh, luckiest man on earth speech is, is amazing and it just goes to show his his strength and his his drive to continue living with the disease and um so he wasn't the first but he definitely was one of the more um or he was like the most famous person to kind of put it on the map if you will so you discussed uh the different kinds of als um i guess can you talk about what kind uh luke Gehrig had and can you talk about uh, some of the possible like warning signs with a disease that has different manifestations, I think it's harder for people to be aware of kind of what they're looking for. Right, right. So um, ALS falls under an umbrella um, for neuromuscular disease. So there's two different types of ALS um, diagnosis that you can get. Um, there's familiar, which is it's passed down through your family and only one, about 1% of, um, patients are familiar patients. Um, and about 99% of patients is sporadic. So it could affect anybody at any time. Um, and it just diagnosis is, is tough. It's tricky because you go through all these tests, blood work, everything and it's a very long vetting process to get a diagnosis which is it's tough for families because they just want to know what's going on and a lot of the times it takes almost a year to a year and a half to get an official diagnosis um, so they're kind of in limbo at that point and what we try to do is just really um, get to them as soon as we can and provide as many resources as we can um, so it, it's different for everybody, but majority of um, diagnosis is 
sporadic. Um, and it could, it could start from, you know, having tingling in your hands or not being able to lift as much as you can, or you're having trouble speaking. Um, so once those things kind of start to get a little bit more serious is when people start that whole process of trying to figure out what's, what's happening. Is there a particular age that it, uh, hits people? Generally it hits people, um, and they're anywhere from their 40s to their 70s. So like, you know, halfway through life. Um, but there have been cases of younger people that have been diagnosed. Um, we always like to highlight or talk about Pat Grange. He was a soccer player at UNM and he got diagnosed when he was 28 and he passed um, 18 months later. So it can affect people at any age, but we do see it more in you know, people from 40 to 70. Um, so that's another thing that's tricky is that it affects everybody. You know, we could, any of us could have it and not know it until, you know, we start showing symptoms or, or, you know, those sorts of things. So, um, and there have been kids that have been diagnosed with it. Um, but that's, that's extremely rare. Talk to me about what the ALS association does. So we're the only um, group in the state of New Mexico that helps people directly living with ALS. Um, we're statewide and we have a ton of different services. So we have um, a durable medical equipment loan closet and um you know, ALS is extremely expensive. The average cost is up to $250,000 a year. Um, so, you know, getting access to good medical equipment and care and all that can be really expensive. So we kind of try to um, ease, that, ease that financial pain by providing them loaned out medical equipment. And that could be, you know, power wheelchairs, ramps. Um, American Home donated a bunch of mattresses to us um, through Tempur-Pedic. So we were able, this was a couple of years ago, um, able to give patients some Tempur-Pedic beds um, because sleeping is, is very hard for them. You know, without uh, muscle function, it's hard to roll over and it's tough. So those that helped immensely. Um, and then we have things like formula and, and um, railing and those, just those sorts of things to kind of get them through day to day. Um, and then we also have a care grant that we offer. So each patient can apply, can apply for a care grant um, to be reimbursed up to $1,000. So if they need help paying for medication, all they have to do is just submit um, receipts. And then we cut them a check for $1,000 um, to help offset those costs. Um, we also have statewide support groups. And we also have two clinics that people can go to. Um, and it's one day where they can go in and see all the medical professionals that they need, um, neurologists, OT, PT, um, nutrition, all of that. Um, so they get to do that all in one day. And we have we um, our care service coordinators um, manage that for us. So we have a lot of different services that we offer and we just try to make it. Um, as easy of a process as possible because it is so devastating to to get the diagnosis and just try to navigate it. You know, once you get one thing down, it just kind of something else comes up and you have to try to figure it out. So um, we try to, to be with them every step of the way. We're speaking with Katie Crouch. She's the development director for the New Mexico chapter of the ALS Association. Katie, can you talk about, you, you mentioned American Home 
they're a great charitable organization in New Mexico. Uh, can you talk about your relationship with them and uh, kind of, I guess, probably why ALS seems to strike a chord? Yeah, so um, Kenton Van Harten, he is um, our board president, and he's extremely involved because he lost a really close friend um, to ALS. So he came on the board, um, I want to say back in like 2016, um, and he's just, he and American, everyone at American Home Furniture have just been absolutely amazing um, from, you know, helping us out with, with, um, fundraisers, um, their big walk. I mean, pretty much all of our events they sponsor. Um, and they help with just getting the word out about ALS and just providing as much support as they possibly can. Um, and they were just so, so lucky to have them as one of our partners and, and um, they'll do anything for ALS, which is awesome. And, and it's refreshing, especially in times like these, you know, it's, everything is just all out of whack and they even going through the pandemic, they stepped up and helped us and, and um, we're extremely lucky to have them involved. And I should have asked you this before and we'll hit it a few times through the interview, but if somebody is listening and they want to get involved with the ALS association, how can they do that? Um, so they can visit our website. It's www.alsanm.org. So it's, ALSNewMexico.org. Um, and there's a bunch of resources on there. Um, we're really active on social media as well. Um, so they can follow us. It's just the ALS Association New Mexico chapter. And um, that that'll pop up if you just Google it. Um, and it has all of our contact information on there. And um, we try to respond to people within a couple of hours. Um, we're a small staff, so we try to stay on top of stuff, but obviously things you know, kind of build up. But yeah, we were around 24-7. I think one of the more terrifying parts of ALS seems to be, um, obviously, it's uh, there's no cure, but that it is such a quick diagnosis. You uh, mentioned uh, some different people, even from New Mexico, and you'd mentioned 18 months. Has that changed through the course of the disease? I know there's a lot of cancers, for example, that people can live with for years and years that may have been uh, more of a death sentence 20 years ago, but it, it doesn't feel like ALS has progressed the same way in advancements. So it's hard. To, each, like I said earlier, it's just hard because every person's diagnosis is different. So we have patients that have lived with ALS up to 18 years, and then we've had people that have passed within six months. So it's really just a matter of how their body is handling it and just how quickly it's affecting their body. Because um, ultimately, the way that they pass is their diaphragm just stops working and they're unable to breathe. Um, so that's kind of the end result for everybody. Um, but there have been advancements, um, at least with treatments, um, research into why things are happening or why people are getting with, diagnosed with ALS is tricky, again, just because it's so all over the place and it's so sporadic and, and different and out there. Um, but that's why it's so important that we, we funnel money into research projects and, um, you know, treatments and trials and all of that. So um, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do, but back in 20, I think it was 2014, the ice bucket challenge um, just kind of 
sprouted and just became this huge phenomenon. Uh, it was the biggest social media movement in history. And we raised over, I think it was $90 million within a month, which is unreal. Um, and because of that movement and because of all that money that we raised, um, there's a ton of drugs and treatments in, the, in trial phases right now. Um, so they're working on it. And um, back in 2017, there was only prior to 2017, there was only one drug on the market and it only slowed down progression by 18 percent, which is nothing. Um, but thanks to I Suck a Challenge and the money that was raised with that um, in May of 2017, there was a new drug that came out that slowed progression down by 33 percent. So we're getting there. But, you know, I think. With, with the pandemic and everything, people are starting to realize how um, lengthy of a process it is to get drugs approved and to do trials. And, you know, it's not just a matter of, okay, here's the money, find find a cure and let's move forward. Um, it's very complicated. And, and, and we do, we do hear that from patients and their families, you know, they're, they're seeing their loved ones die and, and suffer and, and those sorts of things. And, and the urgency is there um, on everybody's part. It's just a matter of trying to unlock what is actually happening to these people. So there have been developments, there is research that is being you know, conducted and everything. It's just, it's, and when it, whenever you get anything neurological, it, it makes it tough. We're speaking with Katie Crouch. She's the development director for the New Mexico chapter of the ALS Association. Uh, You'd mentioned the ice bucket challenge. I heard an interview with somebody who was from the ALS Association where the interviewer asked them about uh, that. Hey, you know, all these people that are actually taking the ice bucket challenge, uh, not all of them are donating. And his response was, if even half of them donate, the funds raised plus the awareness from that campaign is absolutely a godsend. Can you talk about how awareness for ALS went up because of the ice bucket challenge? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that person is so right. Even if people weren't donating, just the fact that ALS was being talked about on every single chat, you know, platform, um, everyone was doing the ice bucket challenge. So that alone brought so much awareness. And, you know, even when, when we're out in the community and we're talking to people about ALS and, you know, people, they hear ALS and they're like, oh, I don't know what that is. But once you say Lou Gehrig or Ice Bucket, then it clicks. So without without that, I don't think people would realize the uh, like what it is and, and the impact of it. Um, so I think that that has really pushed forward support in communi communities across the country and across the globe. Because um, we are, we're a national nonprofit organization. So we have chap, I think there's 39 chapters throughout the United States. And um, that's increased, that awareness has increased funds raised through our fundraising, you know, events, our walk to defeat ALS, um, and just various other fundraisers that we do and everything. So it has, it has made a huge impact on just overall awareness, um, visibility, you know, understanding of what it is um, because, you know, people, they took the ice bucket challenge and then they would go and research it and see how devastating it was. And then people would start getting more involved and wanting, wanting to, you know, help in any way that they can. So that movement really did, 
bringing ALS up to a higher level, if you will. You know, everyone, everyone has a connection to cancer or, you know, just other, other terminal diseases, but ALS is, it's a really rare and special one. So we just have to get as much advocacy and, and word and all of that out to people just so they realize how, how devastating it is. And they're hard conversations to have. Well, when you talk about the advocacy and the awareness, uh, even just preparing for this interview, I never realized that ALS is what Stephen Hawking had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, in my head, it's Lou Gehrig's disease. You know, I remember the speech and uh, it's, uh, I, I think partly because he's a physical athlete. So the loss of the physicality plays, but why hasn't Stephen Hawking, why isn't he more commonplace for people thinking of the disease, do you think? Well, it goes back to, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that it's a very expensive disease. So the average person can't afford the amount of equipment and just support and all of that that he he had access to. And that, that plays a huge role in, in just living with the disease as well. Unfortunately, money is a, is a huge, um, I don't want to say effect, but it, it definitely has a huge role in how their progression goes. Um, you know, it's just, it's extremely expensive. So I think that just because he had, he was, you know, fairly well off and uh, he had access to really good care and the average person doesn't have that access. So I think that's something that people realize once they, they see it and they understand it and they're, you know, they have a loved one or friend or whoever, um, then they realize that, yeah, money, money plays a huge role into it. And I think that's why we try so hard just to raise as many funds and provide as much like monetary service or anything like that to these patients, because a lot of the times they'll pass and their family members are are left bankrupt. It's extremely sad, but, um, you know, money definitely does help with care. So I want to ask about, in that scenario, you talked about the families and if someone is diagnosed today, so if you're listening to this and you don't know anybody with ALS, but six months from now, what is your advice to them about exactly what to do to begin coping or to begin preparing financially or emotionally? So if you if you've got the diagnosis and you know that that's that's what it is, um, reach out to us right away. Um, Michelle Waters is our care service coordinator, and she just has a ton of resources and tools and and ways to kind of start setting up a plan for care. Um, and then we work with you guys to get into the clinic. Um, you know, the clinic I mentioned earlier, it's all one day that people can go and get all the services that they need from each medical professional. Um, and then, you know, we have our support groups, like I mentioned, and, um, there's a lot of ways that we can step in and help as much as we can. So definitely get in contact with the chapter, even if it's not ALS, it might give you um, some peace of mind that, you know, there are, there are resources out there for you. Um, And, you know, if you, if you feel like you're experiencing symptoms or, 
you know, you think something's off, call us, even if you don't have a diagnosis, and we can kind of walk you through it and get you in contact with the right people um, to kind of figure out what's going on with, with you. So I think that's one of the hard things when I think about a diagnosis like ALS, because cancer or heart disease or those sorts of things are more common, there's more of a support network of other people that are going through the same thing that you're going through. ALS mm -hmm. being more rare sort of hampers that community feeling, it seems like. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting, and we talk about this all the time, is even though it's such a rare disease, you know, you talk to just random people at the grocery store, or whoever, you know, you're just getting to know people and you say, oh, I'm with the ALS Association. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I had an uncle that passed from that. Or, you know, there's always some weird connection with people. Um, so even though it's really rare, there's still a huge network of people that have some kind of connection to it. Um and I think that is hard. It's scary. You know, I mean, the diagnosis alone is, is, is really scary, but um, the community that comes with it, I think really helps and they try as hard as they can because they, they've known it and they've seen it and they've experienced it or, you know, in some capacity. So um, it's not as big of an army, I guess, as cancer or anything like that, but there's still a ton of support. It, it amazes me every day. You know, it really does, um, especially with our fundraising walk. Um, like I mentioned, we have a big walk to defeat ALS every September. Um, <clears throat> we just finished ours up this year. And last year, I think we had almost 2,000 people out at Isotopes Park, which is huge. I mean, we only have up to 100 people annually that get diagnosed with it or are currently working with it. So, um, people come up and they show up and, and they, they try their best to help in any way that they can. And again, if somebody wanted to get involved, they wanted to donate or they wanted to donate their time, uh, how can they do that? Yeah, so um, you can definitely just Google us. It's the ALS Association New Mexico chapter. Um, our information will pop up right on, on the right-hand side of the screen and give us a call Reach out to us on social media, email, anything like that. All that information is provided there. Um, and we'll, we'll try to get you um, as much care and support as you need. Um, you know, just know that you're not alone. And we have a lot of really amazing people that, are, that, that have your back and are wanting to, um, to help you live your life to the fullest during your diagnosis. So I want to ask you about some misconceptions or... Maybe they're not misconceptions about um, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. I have heard and read various articles over the years that there may or may not be a connection to military service. Is that an Internet rumor or is that true? No, that is true. So um, veterans are twice as likely to get diagnosed. Um, and we don't know why that is. We just know that veterans are twice as likely to, um, you know, uh, be diagnosed with it. So there's a lot of study that goes into that. I mean, it could be anywhere from, you know, tr brain trauma or things that they're inhaling, environmental kind of things. Um, but that is true. Veterans are twice as likely to get diagnosed. Um, one of the, the, I guess, silver linings in that scenario is that the VA, at least here in, in um, 
in Albuquerque is amazing. I mean, they get all of our veterans, everything that they need. Um, you know, they, they have the clinic of their own and um, veterans are, are very well taken care of for sure. Can you also talk about um, how your operations have changed? I'm sure your fundraising, how your uh, your actual association works. Can you talk some about your post-COVID and how that's uh, COVID has impacted what you guys do normally? Yeah, so, you know, ALS, obviously, um, it's a very high-risk disease. Um, so when the pandemic started or, you know, when we got went on lockdown back in March, um, we kind of had to make a game plan of how we were going to keep all of our patients safe um, and their family members safe and how we can still provide care to those families, um, which was tough because, you know, we do home visits and that's where our care service team goes into the home and kind of accesses, um, you know, what they'll need, if they need, you know, home modifications, anything like that. And we try to have those personal connections as much as we can. Um, so we stopped that completely because we just, there's, it's not worth us putting our patients at risk. Um, so we stopped that, but that's really the only thing that we've stopped on the care service side. Um, we're still having virtual support groups. We're still having our clinic um, twice a month and it's all virtual. P patients can go into the hospital if they're filling up to it. Um, but if they're not wanting to do that, then we can do virtual um, you know, appointments and whatnot. We've all been working from home, um, trying to stay safe and isolated so that if we do come in contact with patients, which we try not to, um, we're safe and we know that we're not exposing them in any way. Um, but for the most part, I mean, home visits are the only things that we've, we've had to stop, um, but we're still providing care and support to our fullest capacity that we were pre-COVID. Um, on the event side, it's a little bit trickier. Um, we had a golf tournament in April, or I'm sorry, in August. It actually went off really well. Everyone was safe. Um, it was out at Santa Ana, and everyone out there was amazing, just making sure that everything was sanitized and taking care of our golfers and keeping everyone socially distanced. So that went off flawlessly. Um, and then, like I mentioned earlier, we always have our big um, ALS walk at Isotopes Park. And, um, you know, in years past, it's been a jam-packed day. We usually have music and food and just it's an amazing energy that day. So obviously we couldn't do that. So we hosted a virtual walk um, on September 27th. And we had some really awesome videos and stories and people getting out into their communities and walking and holding up signs and everything. So that went as well as we could have hoped. And um, we're still trying to raise some dollars with that. Um, we continue our fundraising throughout the end of the year. So even though the walk's already ended, we're still pushing for, for fundraisers and donations and whatnot. So that's been tricky, um, especially for patients. I think they look forward to that day because it is such an amazing day full of support. Um, but we had, you know, we, we did an opening ceremony and we tried to make it as special for them as we possibly could. Yeah, and I imagine that ALS is a disease that is uh, forces people to be solitary and in their home more. COVID's forced everyone to be solitary. To lose that um, is is unfortunate. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, too, is 
you know, back in fall of last year, it was already starting to shape up as a bad respiratory season. And since, you know, respiratory is how these, these people pass, um, a lot of them were already self-isolating themselves um, because they knew if they did get sick with, you know, whatever respiratory stuff, because it was so bad that it would just, it would not be good. So thankfully everyone has been staying safe and, and we haven't had anyone, you know, that has been seriously affected with COVID or anything like that. So um, we're just trying to keep people safe. And we gave out, you know, um, sanitation bags to all of our patients and their families. And it had, gloves, sanitizer, masks, a whole bunch of stuff just to keep them prepared if they did have to go out or if their family members had to go shopping or anything like that. So um, it's a different world for sure. And we definitely miss seeing all of our families and our patients and and our supporters and, and donors and whatnot. But we adapt and we figure it out. So um, we're just going to keep pushing forward continuing on to next year if we have to do virtual you know throughout the the duration of next year then we'll do it and we'll increase it and we'll make it even better and if somebody wants to be one of those donors or one of those volunteers how can they get in touch with you again yes so we'd love to have you involved um you can just go to google or yahoo whatever your internet browser is and just look up als new mexico um, and it should pop up one of the first links on there. Um, all of our contact information is on there, ways to get involved, more information about what ALS is, if you want to learn more about the disease, um, and how you can get involved. Katie Crouch, Development Director for the ALS Association New Mexico Chapter. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to Weekly Edition, 